Looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where we give you the African perspective uh, right here on our frequency, 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band uh, to Southern Africa. You must know by now, we say it every day, also that we're also on uh, DSTV on the audio bouquet, Channel 802. You can also join us on www.channelafrica.co.za. We come to this discussion now, uh, looking at uh, cryptocurrencies and this big mystery for some of us, which is called the Bitcoin. I think some of us have just gone into the game a bit late, or maybe are intending to go into it, and we're thinking maybe this is the right time to go into the Bitcoin because everyone is talking about it. But this thing actually started back uh, even before uh, 2010. In January 2009, the Bitcoin network came into existence uh, with the release of its first open source Bitcoin client and the assurance of uh, the first bitcoins with uh, Satoshi Nakamoto mining the first block of bitcoins ever. And uh, this actually rewarded him with uh, 50 bitcoins. I don't know what the value is right now. Well, over the past few years has gained momentum and has seen a lot of investors. And people are not just talking about the bitcoin because now it's become something that has uh, various layers with cryptocurrency. Now it's termed as cryptocurrencies and there's all sorts of things called like fintechs. And it's just very, very complex. But other people say it's not as difficult as people think it is. Well, Joining us on the line, we've got Davi Ruot, who's a chief economist at Efficient Group. Thank you, Davi. I heard that you were on holiday, so thank you for making time for us. And also on the line, we've got uh, Kathy Nikolaus, who is uh, from uh, uh, the illicit, fi- who is a management and public sector consultant, rather, and an illicit financial flows expert. And also we've got in our studio Mpo Dakada. Am I saying that right, Dakada? Yes. All right, and. He's a cryptocurrency millionaire. That's what he claims. He's a millionaire. Are you really a millionaire, Paul? Well, we'll talk about that. Well, let me let me start with you, Davi, on the line in terms of looking at what are we talking about here when we're speaking about crypt- cryptocurrencies. It seems like there was a time people were very skeptical about uh, the yeah. currency itself. It seems like it's, it's coming to the mainstream with uh, even uh, uh, formalized banks looking into it. Yeah. Good morning to you, and thank you very much. Um, I think uh, before we start with uh, really going into what we call this thing called cryptocurrency, maybe it's a, a good start will be just to define some of these terminologies, what it so, really means. Because you know, you've, you've just used the word cryptocurrency. What does it really mean? So, now, let me, if you allow me, let me just, just uh, unpack some definitions. Okay. Um, I think the important thing about these so-called cryptocurrencies is not the currencies themselves, but it is the technology, okay. the so-called open source or the decentralized nature of the technology. And I'm not a, techno- a technological boffin, uh, but, but uh, there are some of them in your studio, I believe, sure. and they can give us more background on that. But so, uh, uh, the important thing is the technology. But on top of this technology, you can put all sorts of things, like, for example, Bitcoin. Now, let me get some definitions. You get two kinds of money. You get 
government money like rands and dollars and, and, and euros and so on, or you could call it central bank money if you want to, and you get private money. Now, there are many examples of private money. A gift voucher from Woolworths, as an example, is nothing but private money. Or if you go to the school fair and you buy one of these little pink slips that will buy your hamburger and your Coke yeah. inside the school fair, that is nothing but private money. So those are the two, broadly speaking, different kinds of money. Now, this money can be either physical, like a note or a coin, or it can be in a digitized form, like, for example, a credit card or internet transfer. So you can, you can digitize private money and you can digitize government money. And in fact, we do it all the time. And then, and then we can take this money and we can encrypt it. Now, if you have a WhatsApp message, the message, only the sender and the receiver can read that WhatsApp message simply because it has been scrambled. It has been encrypted. Now, if you take private money and you encrypt it, and then you have private money that is digitized and encrypted. So let's just understand what we're talking about. And then there's another terminology, let me just uh, talk about that, and that's so-called virtual money. Virtual money isn't money. Virtual money is just make-believe money. Uh, like, like, for example, the kids play games on the Internet, and they, they, make, they collect all these coins, and you can buy an extra life for that. That's what's really money. It's make-believe money, and it's not money at all. So now there, there are the different terminologies. Now, what has been happening recently is that a lot of these monies or private monies have been created. And the most obvious one and the popular one and the oldest one is Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, indeed, is nothing but private money. It's the same as the rand or the dollar or the euro. It is just a private version of a money. And it has been encrypted or it has been digitized and it has been encrypted and it has been put on this amazing technology called the blockchain. So there's a sure. bit of a starting point for this discussion. Well, thank you so much, Davi, because it makes things clearer for me as a person who's not aware of uh, this whole shebang that is happening here. Uh, but what also interests me is the fact that what makes the cryptocurrency something of value? And let me bring that to you, Paul, who's in our studio, because it's very interesting to see the fact that people have kind of invested into these uh, uh, technologies and this type of currency but what's interesting is to see how quickly the value is actually multiplying almost like daily you see that this uh, currency has its own world and or its own way of um, breathing and being alive you know so what's giving it this life firstly i'd like to say thank you and um, greet all your listeners I think when we speak about what gives cryptocurrency life, what gives cryptocurrency the value that it has today, we're definitely talking about something that has solved a problem that we've had for a while. Mm. And that's the first thing that we look at when we look at cryptocurrency. The problem we've had is normal fiat currency. We've had issues in countries like Venezuela. We've had issues in countries like Zimbabwe where the currency tanked and people lost their pensions and their hard-earned money. And now here we have a currency that is not affected by political turmoil, political situations, but is only affected by the demand and supply and the belief that people have in the currency. So the people get the right to choose where they want to place their value. The same way as anyone out there can decide what product they want to buy for that specific reason. So people are choosing, we want to place our money on Bitcoin because of the different uh, um, attributes that Bitcoin has. And one of those attributes that it has is blockchain technology. Now, what blockchain technology is, is it provides us a public ledger of every transaction that happens on the Bitcoin network. So and when you talk about blockchain, is it an app 
what is blockchain? So blockchain is a public ledger. It's a platform that anyone can access online. So it's like an app or like a, it's like a Facebook? It's of, a website. Oh, it's a website. It's okay. a website good, to put it good, okay. basically. Anyone can access the website from anywhere in the world. What does the blockchain technology then provide? What is the solution that it came abroad? So we look at double spending. I'll take it back a few years ago when transaction first started to be online. People were doing a double spending. And the double spending, what we speak of there is when somebody spends money that they don't actually have. And now their account now sits on negative. Um, or when somebody sends money and reverses it and then spends it on something else when they've actually gotten whatever they got. So now with Bitcoin, with this new technology, it's impossible for you to reverse that transaction. So we don't have that double spending problem. At the same time, it's impossible for you to falsify a transaction because through this public ledger being the blockchain, every transaction that happens is visible to both you and I and even to the institutions. So anyone and everyone at any time can see any transaction happening. Anyone at any time can verify whether a transaction is actually real. And it functions 24-7. So there's no such thing as we need specific people at a specific time sitting down. So now we're solving the issue of transfer of money happening 24-7. That's the first thing. So now mm. we're going into festives. Things are slowing down. People are on festive. There aren't people to actually do a lot of things. The JSC is going to close down. Mm. Moving money sort of slows down, but still happens. Mm. But with blockchain, with Bitcoin, I'm able to send money to someone in China mm. in ten, less than 10 minutes depending on the processing speed of the blockchain. So what we're looking at here is the solutions that this Bitcoin, or rather the cryptocurrency, has brought on board. And it is those solutions that people buy into. Mm. It's those solutions that people say, look, we've had these issues for a while. They have not been solved. If I want to send money to China today, mm. I need to wait quickest mm. ways three days. Mm. So here we've got this blockchain technology that's coming through to solve issues. And mm. not only that, many other ones. Well, but this is just one of them. That's very interesting. And I, I want to ask this to you um uh, Kathy there on the line the, f the fact that for me is there no this sounds to me like there could be a tipping point at some moment whereby as soon as there's no demand of this cryptocurrency or there's no real belief system that keeps this currency alive there could be a, a tipping point where there's a lot of loss in it. And I don't know, it, should we put confidence in this virtual reality of sorts? So, I mean, I've been working on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency for probably about five and a half years because I used to chair the interdepartmental working group on illicit flows for government and specifically looking at cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin and virtual currencies as well. And... The reality is when we when people started buying into Bitcoin, government did send out a warning note that came out jointly by the Treasury and the Reserve Bank and the FIC to say, be careful, don't invest in this, you could be scammed very easily. And it is technology that if you're not tech savvy, you could easily be conned into investing in something that you could lose your money. And when I say tech savvy, it doesn't mean that you have to be a tech guru, but you have to be a little bit careful about where you leave your private key. So the block, at the end of the day, houses a whole lot of, everybody has a wallet that you access, and your wallet has got a public and a private key. And the public key is like your email address, and your private key is like the password to your wallet. Now, when you trade in your currencies, and the block allows you 
to actually, so every block is basically the time it takes to mine a particular coin, and every miner works very hard at solving an algorithm, and in that process actually validates the transaction. So in the distributed ledger, you have visibility of all the transactions that are taking place. So you have global availability, you have ease of access to it, you've got not irreversible transactions, so you don't have the double spend problem that was mentioned by Mpo. The problem with this is if you're not careful with your actual wallet and your private key at the end of the day, you could lose your money and your wallet could be hacked, etc. So it's like leaving your purse or your wallet on a table and not being careful with what you do with it. But the reality is, is that this, the, the value of Bitcoin specifically, and actually most of the cryptocurrencies, if you see Ethereum and you see Ripple and you look at Litecoin, have all increased over the last well, 18 months specifically, and we've seen the, the biggest increase in, in Bitcoin specifically in the last year where the price was, you know, sitting at sort of $1,800 and it's now sitting at 19, well, come down to 17,000 today. And that's per coin. So there's a lot of um, market speculation around this and there's a lot of investment in it and there's a lot of hype around it. And yes, the thing that makes the Bitcoin very attractive at the moment and any other cryptocurrency that is a split off the main block is the fact that it has this underpinning blockchain or distributed ledger which allows you to tag on a whole lot of um, applications. Yeah. So for example, there's a lot of work that's being done around digital identification and proofing. Okay. Um, they're starting to use blockchain to do that. It could replace the voting system. It could re you could actually have wow. instantaneous voting. So if we had the recent ANC conference. If it was done using blockchain technology, everybody would have gotten a cryptographically secure wallet, gone and deposited its wallet, uh, uh, the, the actual vote, and you could actually see online exactly what the votes were. It doesn't take wow. you, hundred, you know, hours to actually tally up votes, and you can't the vote, you can't hack a wallet, you can't change a vote, mm. so it makes a huge difference. So the applications that are currently driving the drive up in the price of Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies is really the fintech space. So we're seeing massive investment internationally in venture capital going into fintech technology. So at the end of the day, that's what's driving the price, and, and some people say it's a bubble, um, you can actually see the recent drop in the in the Bitcoin price at the moment is largely just linked to the split between Bitcoin, the currency, and actually Bitcoin Cash. So part of that liquidity has separated into the two markets. There's also Bitcoin Gold. So they're trying to increase the liquidity around it. And if you're going to dabble in the space, then you've got to be very careful you're not taking your life savings and plugging it into mm -hmm. it, and then you've got to treat it as a security, which is like a normal stock that goes up and down, and you've got to use very standard rules. If I go in and it increases by 10 or 15%, that's what I'm going to sell, and so you've got to be careful that you play it very smartly because at the moment it's a very volatile market. Wow. Very, very, very interesting indeed. And it seems like the more I'm listening to Kathy speak, it's like it's becoming more and more formalized. And it's interesting how it could also just change the way we do life in general. But let's take a quick break. We're looking at cryptocurrencies. We know that the most famous of this currency is the Bitcoin, but they, I know there's an uh, introduction of multiple cryptocurrencies. There's a friend of mine who's always on my case on Facebook talking to me about how I should join this thing. I have no idea. I'm just a journalist. 
journalist. I'm not really a financial fundi. But so I don't know right now if I'm really convinced I'm one of those people who want to get into something. The more I understand it, then I get into it. But let's take a quick break. We'll get back to our guests. We've got Davi Roet on the line, who's a chief economist at Efficient Group, Kathy Nikolaus, who is a management and public sector consultant and illicit financial flows expert. And Port Takada uh, is joining us on the line, who's a cryptocurrency millionaire. Uh, maybe you should share some of that millionaire with me and just give me a, a bit of a share so I can start off and then maybe I can take this somewhere. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. <laughs> This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, today we're looking at uh, cryptocurrencies. Well, it seems like Bitcoin is descriptive of this whole thing because that's the cryptocurrency that everybody knows. But we know that Bitcoin is not the only cryptocurrency and there's multiple cryptocurrencies that people can get into. I want to come back to you, Davi, in terms of because you highlighted the difference between a normal currency and a cryptocurrency itself and also virtual money, um, which was also an interesting thing because I thought this was virtual money, but it seems like it's not. And thank you for making that clarification, Davi. But for me, where I'm sitting is, will we see a, a time where Bitcoin starts dominating the mainstream and could replace uh, uh, the gold uh, um, investments. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me just, if I may, just make a few comments on what you other Okay, sure. Go well. ahead, Tony. Go like, ahead. like, for example, what is this thing um, Paul mentioned, fiat currency? The word fiat is an old Latin word that means let there be. And money, and people don't realize, very few people actually do realize that central banks literally make money out of nothing. The South African Reserve Bank can and do make money out of nothing. And the same for the Federal Reserve in the United States or the European Central Bank. All the world central banks make money out of nothing. And uh, and the Zimbabwean Central Bank also made a lot of money money out of nothing. They overdid it a little bit, and in the process, they destroyed their own money. So this, and Bitcoin is exactly this. It's exactly money that is being made out of nothing, not really out of nothing. There's a process called mining that is required for that. But there's no pot of gold standing behind Bitcoin or behind the rand or behind the dollar, for that matter. So I think uh, there's a second point I wanted to make is that when you talk about the the blockchain, if you want to visualize the blockchain, look at it as a network of computers sharing information. I think that's, uh, that's... 
for somebody that's a lay person in technology. Okay, uh, thanks I, for I, that. I'm, I'm one network. of those, so thank you yeah, so much. That's me as well. Okay, so <laughs> a network. And then another point is, what gives money value? And that was mentioned in a way as well. Yeah. And the only reason why money has value because there's trust, for whatever reason. People don't, they didn't trust the Zimbabwean Central Bank, but for some reason, when the Americans do exactly the same, they still trust the Americans. So it is about trust. Um, and, and I think what is gradually happening is that people are getting more and more uh, trust in this thing called the blockchain and in particular in things like, for example, Bitcoin and the like. What are the consequences or what is the future for this? And I think it's going to be, this is a revolution that has already started to happen. Remember, it is possible to transfer private money or Bitcoin from one phone to the other phone on this network called uh, the blockchain, blockchain without anybody knowing this. Now, this is, this is huge because if it is impossible for me to make a deposit in your bank account because I will always have to tell my bank to tell your bank to make a deposit into your bank account. So you will always make use, except if you use cash, of course, but if you use normal government money or central bank money, mm. you will always make use of, of a financial intermediary. Sure. Yeah. But with uh, Bitcoin and these private currencies or cryptocurrencies, I can make a transfer directly to you, and that means you don't need to make use of a bank. So I w- predict that banks, the way we do business with banks, will change dramatically over the next couple of years, and it's even possible that banks may disappear, completely disappear. And then if banks disappear, central banks will disappear, and we won't have monetary policy anymore. And imagine, remember, this this stuff is encrypted on my phone. Nobody can see how much Bitcoins I have, and now the Minister of Finance wants to to tax me because I don't use banks anymore. And what am I going to tell the Minister of Finance? I'm going to tell him... So, my password. So, well, let, let me let me bring you, Kathy. I know you want to say something in, in, into that. I would like to sort of correct some comments on that. So, okay. fundamentally, it actually is a virtual currency, and this all falls into what is considered to be e-money. So, what um, Davi was talking about for private money, which is like your vouchers and your e-bucks and your, you know, Standard Bank, you know, Blue Beans, and that. Those are all examples of e-money that we get at the end of the day, and they are in a sense, virtual currencies. They're not real currencies. The interesting thing about the Bitcoin technology, it is a virtual cryptocurrency at the end of the day. So it is encrypted, and the encryption actually comes in the type of privacy no. that you get that makes it very difficult to hack your wallet. No. However, what has happened is the exchanges that often sit on top of the block that are running the exchanges from fiat currency into Bitcoin on behalf of you and I, they often get hacked, and that was the example of MT Cox, for example. Okay. The problem that we have is there's always been this notion that cryptocurrencies are anonymous. And there are some cryptocurrencies that are anonymous, but a lot of them are what we call pseudonymous. They are partially anonymous. So, yes, I agree with Darby. Money gets done in the block at the end of the day. You transfer money from one wallet to another, and you might be transferring bitcoins from one wallet to another bitcoin. But because there's a distributed ledger, and there are all these miners that are validating the transaction, you can tell exactly which wallet received money, how much was transferred. So it's actually pseudonymous. You know which wallet has received money, and if you are an asset forfeiture unit in government and you know what to look for, if you go into someone's safe and they have a piece of paper that's got a public and a private key, 
you'll know that that's a Bitcoin wallet. You'll actually be able to identify exactly how much money was transferred into that particular wallet. Now, other currencies like Monero and like Zcash are completely anonymous. They are peer-to-peer. -peer. They are really in the dark space at the end of the day, and they also work with the, the Tor, the onion ring at the end of the day, to try and anonymize your transactions completely. And they are often used to facilitate black market payments. But we've not seen a massive threat being taken on, for example, by terrorist financiers using Bitcoin because it's actually pseudonymous and you leave a digital footprint. Where the challenge around Bitcoin comes in is what Davi is partially alluding to, which is if I go to the U.S. and I work there for six months and I earn dollars, I can convert those dollars into Bitcoin on my phone. I can arrive in South Africa and I can give my Bitcoin to somebody else in return for banks in South Africa. Now, central banks would normally see that as an exchange of dollars to rands and vice versa, but with cryptocurrency and with the blockchain and Bitcoin, you can't see that. So what the government is trying to do is to say, if you're a financial intermediary operating in the Bitcoin or cryptocurrency space that is engaging with converting fiat currency into cryptocurrency, you're going to eventually have to start reporting to us so that we can actually track what you're doing. And there's a whole lot of work that's being done internationally around how we treat the profits of Bitcoin and whatever you're generating at the moment, it's not regulated in South Africa, but in other countries it's treated. If you're generating profits, you could be a capital gain tax on it, there could be VAT on it. So there are different ways in which it's being treated globally, um, although South Africa is still exploring how we, we're treating that. On the commodities and goods side, when you're importing and you've got to do a proof of payment, it doesn't matter if you've proved you've paid it virtually, electronically, or using cryptocurrency. The goods will arrive and there will be a proof of payment there. Mm. So that's not the problem. The problem is in the capital flow space where the biggest risks tend to lie. But progressively, there are um, companies that sit at the back end, like Elliptic and Chain Analysis, for example, that allow you to track and trace transactions. So you can see exactly if wallets are being used to actually buy drugs or things in the black market because there are certain websites that have got Bitcoin wallets or other cryptocurrency wallets that actually dabble in the black market space where they do identity theft and cybercrime and you can buy your drugs, etc. online. So that world is evolving progressively and to think that it's not... I do agree with Darby, it's going to change the way the banking system operates. Banks are already using platforms like Ripple, for example, to do transactions between themselves because the benefit is an instantaneous forex transaction using a Bitcoin, for example, as a medium, which means you can do it immediately. You don't need forward cover. You'll get your money today and you don't carry the risk Afford, you know, cover on an exchange. Wow, that is a mouthful, Kathy. I'm trying to also yeah. kind of figure this whole <laughs> world out. This is a different world indeed, and I feel like totally. I'm out of the, uh, I'm out of my depth here because you know what? It seems like it is a reality that's out there, and there's no denying it. The way things are going. Well, let me take a quick break, and then I'll be back, and uh, we'll continue speaking with you. But I just want to know from you at when you started out, just your personal story because sometimes we can make these things about just about systems I'll, i'd like to you to uh give me your personal experience of it because i think that's also an interesting thing we're speaking about cryptocurrencies i 
Africa, this is a big one. Maybe Africa should start thinking of that. I'm, I'm thinking opportunities in the agricultural sectors. I'm thinking about a lot can be done in this regard in partnering up of small, medium enterprises, the way they can transact with each other, with goods and, and you know, interrelations with different businesses. So there's a lot of opportunities that I'm thinking about with this cryptocurrency of how we can also uh, improve the intertrade of businesses on the African continent. It's fascinating indeed. And where it can take us, it's also very interesting if it's really regulated in the way uh, that we, we're speaking about right now. Let's say a quick one. We'll be back right after this. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, it's 37 minutes past 11 o'clock. That's Central African time, and we're speaking to a couple of guests looking at the reality of cryptocurrencies. And from all of them, it seems like this is becoming a reality. It's not just something that's going to be peripheral in the economy of the world, but it's becoming something that could centralize how people engage with the various economies. And it's very interesting that you actually also live above that space of currencies from a geographical graphical perspective um paul coming back to you how did you get into this because now bitcoin is becoming big but i'm sure for you it was something that was unpredictable at the time why did you trust this tech these technologies and what made you say you know what this is something i can get into how did you start I got involved with um, cryptocurrencies in 2014. Mm. Um, it all started when somebody asked me to buy them Bitcoin and send Bitcoin to, to somewhere else. I did so, the value jumped overnight, and that intrigued my interest to say, what is this? And what I started doing from that time is I started researching and interacting with the global community concerning cryptocurrencies. At the time when I started, there weren't many people in Africa that were doing it. So I was one of the first to start, and I was one of the first to even start selling on local Bitcoins to say, guys, here's this new technology, here it is, let's engage with it, let's get involved. And as I got involved through time, I obviously learned about it. I mean, today I've got a training institution where I literally train people on how to get involved in cryptocurrencies. I I consult for businesses as to how they can engage within this space. But what I've been able to do over the years, I've been able to see the industry evolve. I've been able to see different key players come in place. I've been able to see it grow from a point of skepticism to a point of people beginning to understand it, to a point of people becoming curious, and even to the point of validation when Old Mutual said, look, we're going to take some of the money which we use for our pension funds in our gold fund, and we're now going to put it in in Bitcoin, in in (laughs) cryptocurrency. It's crazy. So I've been there from the beginning right up to now. And and for me, it's been a great journey of understanding, but not only understanding, but a very profitable and also a journey of sharing my knowledge. Mm. Um, I speak a lot on cryptocurrencies. I go on a lot of platforms. I've been to Silicon Valley to speak about mm. entrepreneurship, to engage with the guys there, what's actually going on. Mm. And of recent, I was talking to a young African guy called Tabang who's developing <laughs> a system. You know how we've got in Pesa, in Kenya, and in all the other African countries? 
He's developing a system called Chankura, where in that system, they'll be able to actually transact using cryptocurrencies at a cheaper fee. So we're sitting with a situation where if you want to send someone money in, in Africa and um, you want to send them, let's say you want to send them 100 rand, etc. We're sitting, we're sitting at a, a point where the fees are so high that the money you're sending to them actually diminishes because of those fees. So he's coming up with a system where you can send money to people the same way using USSD, the same way as sending airtime, where you can send money to your counterpart using cryptocurrencies. And through that, the fees are low because that's, a, that's why cryptocurrencies are designed to do. They're designed to take away the middleman, take away the fees that it offers. So even at looking in Africa as cryptocurrencies being a solution, I take it now over to Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, their petrol stations, when all had failed and the Zimbabwean dollar had failed and the bondos had failed, the petrol stations had said, well, look, let's start trading through Bitcoin. There are stores that said, let's start trading. Let's start using Bitcoin as a currency. And let's start, let's keep the economy moving through this new uh, solution that we've got. And let's continue living. Let's not get shut out of the world because our currency has now failed due to unforeseen circumstances, which they might not even have been part and parcel of. Let's get something else and let's use that as a solution. So that's why I see cryptocurrency going as a solution for Africa. And not only starting with your cryptocurrency, but looking at blockchain technology and looking at things like tax allocations, mm. how you could use people's tax allocations to the specifics that you want them to get through, through blockchain technology to eradicate corruption. Mm-hmm. Well, Davi, is this actually all good or are there some negatives to this? Because as was highlighted yeah. by both Kathy and yourself, it's uh, very much of an unpredictable uh, currency. Uh, the way it fluctuates, we have to be very much on the ball and monitoring it daily. And I'm sure every second counts with yeah. these currencies. Uh, what are the negatives here? Okay, let me just start off by saying, um, Paul, I think it's a beautiful story. And I think the important thing here is for everybody to get to, get to know this technology because this is the future without a doubt. But be very, very careful. A lot of people will lose a lot of money. A lot of people have lost a lot of money already. So this is not an investment. But please play with the technology and make sure you understand the technology. So I think that is perhaps one of the biggest pitfalls here is people think it's a technology. They think it's just an investment and they think it's just going to go up in value. It is not. Please be very, very careful. That's point number one. Point number two is that, of course, because of the anonymity, it's much more easier today for me to transfer money to, to, or, to terrorist organizations or buy illegal stuff on the Internet and so on. So without a doubt, uh, they will, there's more risk involved as far as that is concerned. It's also much easier to evade taxes, for example. And the moment you buy Bitcoin, that moment you actually internationalize your money. So uh, exchange control regulations are not relevant anymore. But, but I think the, 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 the positives are so much greater because what we have here, we have the real opportunity now to get rid of the shackles of the politicians and of bureaucrats. Mm. And, and this, is a, this is going to be a much more dangerous world. But I prefer a much more dangerous world with more individual freedom than a world with less danger and less freedom. Because without a doubt, politicians globally are taking over our lives. They are, they are just about in all spheres of our lives. They want to uh, re, uh, uh, organize our lives on our behalf. But this is the opportunity for us to take our lives back and to take a real liberty back 
and the world is going to change. Well, but of course, Kathy, there's me, a lot of dangers in there. Kathy, I've got two minutes left. Let me give you a final say here in terms of how can governments adjust to this? Is there a way that they can? Because I'm looking at uh, societies that do not have any revenue when it comes to social spending, and that could cause more uh, trouble. So there was an example where they were ex- we were exploring whether you would use uh, cryptocurrency as a state, and, and, and uh, governments are not necessarily geared to do that, but there's nothing that stops the state from setting up its own sort of cryptocurrency itself, so you'd get, like, you know, bizarre or whatever, and, and then run that. You could generate revenue from that as well just by mining it because um, there is value in it, but then the demand and the supply for your currency and its ability to use it across borders creates value for it, and you could generate an income stream from it. On the tax side, a lot of work is being done that does look at how you could generate revenue from it. At the moment, it's an unregulated space, so you can. there is a little bit of a free-for-all if you think of the, what Darby is actually saying, but eventually, as the regulation steps into the space, it's going to increase the cost. So BitPesa, for example, does exactly what Mpo was talking about, where you can exchange money cross borders. It's unregulated, so it costs you something like five cents versus using MoneyGram or using Western Union. However, as governments start to regulate that space, there will be costs that will be increasing the actual transactional cost that is, you know, being associated with um, Bitcoin. Mm. So yes, it's an exciting space. But at the same time, you do need to have your head switched on and certainly not put your life savings into it. I predict that the value is going to increase significantly because it's modeled on the principles of gold and there are projections that it could get to $100,000. But it's not a quick thing now and you certainly shouldn't be putting your life savings into it. All right. Thank you, guys. This has been fascinating for me. I've been a skeptic. I'm not sure if I've moved away from being a skeptic, but I've just a little bit developed a bit of trust for this technology. Um, thank you to all of you for giving us your time. Uh, thank you to Mpo Tagada for coming into our studio. A cryptocurrency millionaire. We're going to discuss after the show what uh, percentage of your millionaires will I get to see if I can get myself into the scheme. <laughs> thank you to Davi Rich, who's a chief economist thank at Efficient Group. Thank you to Kathy Nicholas, who is a, a management and public sector consultant and an illicit financial flows expert. It's been a very interesting conversation. We really appreciate you for giving us your time here on Channel Africa. Hope you enjoyed it. I hope that uh, you learned a thing or two from that discussion. Well, that's it from us here on uh, African Dialogue. Let's end the program with uh, Lady Smith, Black Mambazo. This one is titled Diamond on the Soles of Their Shoes. She's a rich girl, she don't try to hide it Diamonds on the sources and shoes Our boat, empty as a bag Empty as a pocket with nothing to lose She got diamonds on the soles of her shoe She got diamonds on the soles of her shoe 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 Diamonds on the soles of her shoe